0: This week on Sonic Talk, we talk Monotron and Monotribes, mic usage for sound design with Diego Stockholm, as well as an interview with Sonic Talk theme tune winner, Kent Spong. Sonic Talk is brought to you by Yamaha. Please do check out their W24 and C24 pocket track recorders and by Mac Pro Video. Save 20% on all downloads by visiting sonicstate.com forward slash mpv. And there you have it. That was the introduction to, uh, as the Sonic Talk number 242 and that was the uh, the new version of the theme tune as... Uh, as, as as composed by Kent Spong, a.k.a. Misty Mooey in the chat room, and uh, we, we may well get a new credit sequence together to to accompany that but uh, I just want to say thank you to everybody for joining us. So Sonic Talk number 242 recording today live Wednesday the 9th of November going out on iTunes and you'll probably be able to see the video on Ustream if you're watching video uh, tomorrow. Uh, So uh, I just want to say first of all thank you very much to my guests. Uh, We've got a small but intimate crew this week and I will start over here. Uh, We'll start to my left as is customary uh, left and right Uh, and we'll say hello to Mr. Mark Tinley, likebeing.com how are you mark you
1: got the video camera all right i did thank you very much it's good isn't it yeah I, it is it's not see, bad i can see my own image in there it's very good quality okay.
0: well anyway mark good to have you aboard I haven't had you for a little while you, i'm you, you've been busy and um and, and up to no good or all good which is it
1: um i haven't i've been uh, running around looking after sick child actually ah. so um Back and forth to the hospital a lot. He was in hospital for a few days, and then um, he's been off school for a week. So I've been being a good dad and watching things like Grandpa in My Pocket, which I have to say is the most bizarre program, especially given that the actor in Grandpa in My Pocket was somebody who I remember sort of looking up to when I was a small child, his age child myself, and sort of he was in a program called When the Boat Comes In or The Likely Lads or something. So he was was sort of like this – he was like this Beatles kind of cool kind of Newcastle-y kind of thing, feel to it, you know. the Mighty Fool. Yeah. Anyway, Mark. Yeah, he's a granddad now, and my son's watching him, but yeah. Thank you you very much for (laughs) joining
0: us. And we've also got this week uh, Mr. Diego Stocco. Uh, You may recognise him from – well – Things like music from a laundrette, music from a tree, all sorts of. I mean, sound designer extraordinaire. In fact, I've got a little intro for you here. Diego, so yeah, I was going to play it again, just because. Uh, all right. Hold on. <laughs> if I could just refresh this, I think it does something. It goes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. Just wanted to play that for you. I'm going to have to shut that down because it's going to start playing. And just d-
2: just to clarify, I'm not trying to make music from leaf blowers, but there are <laughs> people right now <laughs> cleaning oh, the bag of my neighbor. Is, right. It's always right. the way,
1: isn't it? Isn't
0: it always I can hear
1: that. I thought it was a lawnmower, but okay, right. I missed your Seriously, conversation it's,
2: right it's at the beginning. It's 8, 8 p.m. here and they, I don't know. It's insane. Well, when the weather's <laughs> hot, you've got to start
0: work early. That's what I say.
2: It's true. It's true. And I never quite course. understand why people blow
1: leaves. Why don't they suck them up? I don't get that. Why? Why do they have leaf blowers? Why
2: don't they just suck them in a vac- big vacuum? I have, I have the same question. Because seriously, for a gallon of gas, they move the leaves this much. <laughs> mm. Just they keep doing that for an hour. <laughs> yeah, crazy. <laughs> anyway, as uh, the chat room says, still
0: owns the music world. <laughs> Excellent. Right. Um, well, I want to say thank you very much for joining us. First of all, um, very much appreciated. I know Diego, it's early your time, so I'm guessing. uh are you are. I hope we haven't dragged you out of bed too early. Are you on an early kind of morning um, regime at the moment?
2: I half and half. I mean, I'm trying to wake up as early as possible, but uh, yeah, I usually wake up around this time. But it's okay. I mean, it's a pleasure to you know join the podcast again.
0: Great. Well, it's always good to have you. What What have you been up to recently? I noticed. um, I was looking at some various things. You've been. uh, Did you Did you uh, speak at Moogfest? I saw something on your site saying that you were.
2: Yes. Yeah, that was uh, amazing. I mean, the the festival. It's uh, incredible, first of all, because there's a lot of artists. The lineup is great, and the vibe was amazing. A lot of scenes around, you know, Moog scenes. And uh, I did a couple of panels. Uh, Eric Persing was the moderator there. So we did one that was a convergence of uh, hardware and software. Um, and there was a Tara Bush uh, as one of the yep. panelists as well, and Mark Dory, and then uh, Amos Gaines from uh, Moog. Uh, and the other one was uh, Mavericks of Sound Design, where we were kind of discussing what's involved uh, in being a sound designer, mostly the madness of being a sound designer dealing with clients sometimes and things like that but they were very fun
0: it sounds like i'd loved i think one day um, we'll we'll have to get out to moog fest because it's going to be it looks like a great source of just content for people like us going in yes. a lot of people uh, because i'm a friend of mark Doty's. he he uh got involved in our Sonic State, uh, in our top 20 greatest synths, so we we oh. kind of stay in touch. And I've just, just been seeing his kind of, yeah, just been talking to, you know, Stevie Wonder or, you know, all these kind of massive synth lumia. Yeah, just met so-and-so, and he just said, this is crazy. And it's because he's he's like a curator, isn't he, of uh, of some description. I'm not entirely what sure his what his job is. Now,
2: is working uh, with the Bob Moog Foundation, is... Responsible for the archives and basically putting together um, everything that Bob Moog left in terms of uh, designs, uh, schematics, uh, ideas, and everything. Because they're getting ready. I mean, they're ramping up to eventually create the museum, yeah. Which will which will be an amazing place, you know, where you will see a lot of things uh, and you know, hopefully inspire also the new generations about the power of ideas, you know?
0: Yeah, I mean, that seems to be the idea. Uh, I think it just kind of, uh, it just sounds like a great project. I and mean, it's got a roadmap. I mean, looking at the models and the 3D stuff of the uh, uh, of the museum at in Ashford, it looks, oh, it should be a Moogseum, shouldn't it? I think actually
2: yeah
0: yeah 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 A i gotcha yeah you and you you <laughs> having just come back from the moog festival you know said, what i
2: can tell you i can i can save myself by saying it's my accent i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> i i thought it right but my mouth can't say it right
0: <laughs> well i always whenever that comes up i always bring up the argument of Moogafuga, not Mogafuga, Moogafuga right, scans. Right. Mogafuga does not scan. Anyway, I'm not going to get, well, let's not go there. But it sounds like you've been having a lot of fun anyway. Um,
2: yeah, we, yeah we it was j- freezing cold though. Was it really? Everything. Oh, it was amazingly cold. I mean, those two days, especially coming from California, it was 40 degrees. Uh, it was like six degrees uh, uh, Celsius there. And you wanted to walk because the, the Mook fest doesn't happen in one place. It happens all over the all over the city of Asheville. So you go from one uh, auditorium to another place that might be outside, oh, and then right. there is another, and, and it's very nice because the city itself has plenty of things to see. So you wanna walk outside, but I was <laughs> trying yes. to. You're wearing a kind of big hat. <laughs> I was wearing everything I had in my suitcase. <laughs>
0: Wow, okay. Right, um, I think what we'll do is we'll get started on the, uh, on the topics and maybe we'll come back to a bit more about, because um, I've, I've, I've gauged some topics that will allow you, hopefully allow you to kind of integrate some of your current and past work into, into that as well. So let's start with the first one, which is the new Monotribes, the, sorry, the new Monotrons from Korg. I'll just play the video. forward that a little bit. That's the monotron. And, and now, now we've got the monotron my- delay, which looks very interesting as well. Right, I won't play all of that. That I like the last one. It really sounds like sort of 1950s science fiction EMS uh, VCS 3 or something. But, I mean, great news. I mean, it sounds like they've got uh, the, the first three topics kind of joined together, really. But Because this has, in fact, got the uh, the two new Monotrons from Korg, uh, which are uh, the Monotron Duo and the Monotron... Uh, delay which sound uh you know the 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 initial monotron was the ms20 filter and the they say the monotron duo features two analog oscillators and an edgy x mod which is supposed to be taken from the ms uh the sorry the monopoly and it just seems like i mean three of these and you know surely haven't you got a synthesizer to to die for there yet or does it how, how do you think Mark?
1: have you got a monotron mark I haven't got a Monotron, and I kind of knew about them from just the discussions you and Dave have been having about them, and Rich as well, I think. Um, and they look really cool, actually. I mean, they, you, I, and you took the words out of my mouth. I was going to say like um, the AKS synthi or the EMS BCS three, and they kind of. But I would think of that as being like the synthesis of the seventies in terms of like Brian Eno or Devo or something like that. So, I mean, I reckon. They're probably like really good for making those kind of sounds really quickly. If you don't know how to do it in in a bigger synthesizer, in other words, you've got instant access to that kind of sound. Yeah. Um. Well, so I mean, it just seems like a really kind of. I don't know. I mean, I won't be buying one, even if it does fit. I in think my they're pocket. like fifty they're quid on. or something. I,
0: I tell you, the <laughs> one really big deal with this that I think is going to be uh, it makes the massive difference because the ribbon keyboard on the Monotron is frankly almost useless. I mean, you can't play anything meaningful on it whatsoever. I mean, it's right. rubbish. It's kind of like, because you've got, um, I mean, even my small fingers on the monotron. it's really hard even just to play a single note. You're always, but what they've got are these little buttons on the back that allow you to quantize them to scales, major and minor and uh, and what have you. So it enables you to play it in a much more accurate way than you could previously, which I think is actually a major step through. I mean, aside from actually having MIDI, which kind of defeats the point of these things being so teeny and tiny and and kind of fun, it, it, uh, but that's going to be the really big deal, as far as I can tell. Um, I'm guessing, uh, Diego, is this? A, I don't know what sort of whether you have a number of synthesizers in your collection and whether you are a kind of synth guy, because I mean, you're very much more of a sort of found sound and making things from what you've what you create yourself. Is this something, you know, you'd like to have in a pocket for a, a, a spare moment or would it be more useful than that?
2: You see, I, I, when I when I look at these uh, machines, they, they look like uh, um, musical toys, but not in a bad way, in a, in a nice way, meaning that you can't really integrate them in a real setup because there's no MIDI, right? And so you can use them as a source, to create something else, maybe. And I see the, you see, Korg wouldn't do these machines if they wouldn't sell. And and the reason why they sell is because there is an appeal in holding something physical in your hand. And if it's making a cool sound, it's a plus, you know. It's like uh, when you buy uh, an expensive uh, stomp box for guitar. I mean, it's like $400 for one thing. Of course, you can do that with plugins and other things, but there's some sort of Enjoyment in playing with that thing, and I see this thing being more like a stomp box, sort of stomp box for keyboard player in a way.
0: Yeah, I, I think uh, you're right
2: there. I mean, the thing about it is, it's
0: kind of it is fun to use. And the thing that's sort of really exciting about a lot of these things is people just take them to bits and modify them. In fact, they've made them very modifiable, right. and that's the thing that's but, kind of quite interesting. And I'd imagine, um, Mark, you're a sort of circuit bending yeah, kind of guy.
1: That- I mean, modifiable interests me because i want things to be unpredictable so that so in terms of things like the casio sk1 that i modified one of those and and that's completely unpredictable and you keep switching things around to sort of see what it might do or might not do and that becomes really interesting but the thing about that and it's just in its basic out the box sort of out the shop format is that it looks very very predictable in other words you know, an oscillator and a filter, and that's pretty much... Well, yeah, yeah, I, yeah I wouldn't... I mean, do, you've got but...
0: two, two oscillators, so it, um, it's not duophonic, as some people are guessing, but I'm guessing it might be possible to modify it to do that. Two oscillators that you can change to, to uh, uh, obviously, intervals, and then play singly, so you get to... But it's also got this cross-mod thing, which, in terms of monopoly world created some some, yeah it made some pretty
1: powerful noises and it made one of my favorite noises as well that kind of like detuned oscillators against each other with that other sweeping thing going through the middle of it which basically sounds like several radio stations on shortwave trying to transmit something to you all at the same time (laughs) and then that cross-modulating kind of thing that happens so i love that noise absolutely love it but would you would uh, you spend 50
0: quid on it i suppose is the answer i mean i'm guessing they're 50 quid there's
1: other ways of making it which are more unpredictable that's the thing if i if i could get in the circuit board and mess around in the back and fiddle around with with it and make it do unpredictable things i might buy one but i have an inkling having watched the second video i think which showed a chip on a board and how to uh make it midi that that chip is very much and all the circuitry is kind of packed into that chip and i'd want to like get inside the chip and dig it well the uh, very thing that there are if you at, if you check there are an awful
0: there. lot of modifications that people have done for the original monotrons i mean the, the next thing we were talking about was actually the monotribe uh, which i, I suppose you right. may as well go to that because uh, the monotribe has come into focus in fact uh, we just uh, posted a video of the uh Uh, John Fox live in London at the Xoyo Club. I'm guessing that's how you pronounce it. Excuse X-O-Y-O Club, uh, where Andy went up and he did a tour of the kind of rig. Uh, It was great because they're using the Simmons SDS-5, as we suspected. But they also got a Korg Monotribe, and that led me to this video, which I will just play for you now because it's... uh, uh, Well, it's not a video. It's more of a sound. Let me just hit it here. What this is is uh, a chap who's modified his Monotribe, which is the kind of little... 303 beatbox kind of thing uh, to take MIDI input because it, which you can do, you know, there's there's all this sort of uh, illustrations of him setting it up. Uh, so he followed this kit, which is identifying the parts on the board, and because uh, there's all sorts of things you could take out individual uh, controls for hi hat and bass drum and what have you. And then you take the MIDI out, there's this rather scary looking um, shot here <laughs> of him drilling a massive hole in the case. I thought this actually sounded. The fact that it's basically a, a fairly straightforward monotribe. This is play, it's playing the 303 kind of line. Pretty good. <laughs> anyway, uh, this what it was really to do. Well, this was this is uh, sorry. I should say now. Uh, this is by a chap called uh, uh, Next Door Ninja on. Uh, on soundcloud and it's called knob soup and a uh, great next door Ninjas, a great name isn't it fantastic he's got a load of other tracks here <laughs> a load of tracks here well worth checking out it's got quite a bit of it's got a nice sort of simple musical kind of uh, taste there and it works out really nicely but i was going to say uh, i mean really yes uh to all this modification and we've sort of been speaking about it before but what really kind of struck me more than anything was i mean we're all in the business of molding and making our shapes right and isn't yep. the whole idea uh really yeah. The same, this is the same thing it's just taking the electronics and modifying them to create something because we tend to but, work within the scope of our own tools generally
2: but the, there's one thing to be said I mean obviously there are people that love to do modifications on instruments there, but there's also a number of people that just buy an instrument and would like to make music with it <laughs> right off the box yeah, uh, yeah. and and so the, the, the thing about these machines is that I would use them more as a starting point, connected with other things, because by themselves they do they, they have a limited uh, number of sounds and you know settings that you can tweak on. And so, if you use them as a starting point, maybe you can run them, run them through an amp or other stomp boxes and things. Maybe you can get something that is more unique. Uh, otherwise, pretty much, you will end up sounding like what the machine. I mean, the machine has that, those sounds. That's pretty much it. That's I see. And, which got... are which which are good, but after you but spend one... what on a week if or one... so, what do you do after that? Well, limita- band, uh... limitations aren't oh. a
1: bad thing. Sorry, go, Mark. I was just going to say, if one band out there gets hold of one and makes a record like Devo, they are we are not men. nowhere we are no no are Devo album. Then I'll buy it because. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it kind of just all sounded like that to me, and I'd be very happy to hear another band like that, or a fresh-sounding band with those sounds in it. I love those kind of synth sounds. So.
0: I think the thing about the, this, the Monotribe, uh, when I reviewed it, I mean, it does have limitations because it's basically a 16-step sequencer, and that's kind of it. And the fact that you, you, it's got this crummy little ribbon keyboard on it, again, limits what you can do with it. Whereas putting MIDI in actually makes, makes it opens it up much more and makes it into a kind of usable mono, monophonic synthesizer that ha- allows you to play more complex things and, you know, lines that have a meaning, which is kind of something that was demonstrated in the, by the Next Door Ninja track. And that's the kind of thing that I, I, I was really talking about. I mean, and it just seems like Korg seemed to be moving towards, with all of their new th- these new little mono range towards creating like an aftermarket modifications sort of ecosystem in the same way that you know when the eye the you know the i range yeah. of everything came along from Apple you know there were all these little accessories and things that came along that meant that you could attach this to it and tweak that and I'm just wondering whether or not we're going to see the same thing or you know are they not worthy of modification in the same way I mean that's a question I'm perhaps gonna- worth asking.
1: I mean, ultimately, if you've got your hands on an MS10 stroke MS20 filter, that's got to be a good thing, hasn't it? So, um, if it's a, a an easy way of getting hold of one of those, if it is it is it analog or digital? Because I couldn't quite work that out. Is Which? it actually an analog? It's an analog. The little one. The little the one. Not- I
0: think uh, I think it's a bit of both. A combination of both. Sorry. I think.
1: So is the filter actually analog filtering because it's that's a very good entry point to analog filtering. Well, in a, any of these units if it is a, actually like an analog you know like comb filter ladder thing what's it you know what I'm on about. Yeah. <laughs> that's I what you're saying.
2: <laughs> well, there's a there's one comment that I see uh often uh you know on different blogs it's about uh giving people the ability to connect these little machines together as a modular but in a real way without you having to do all the circuit bending and stuff but if you think about it you might end up spending much more money than actually buying a real modular system and and still you know having limited options so but i'm not i'm not saying that these are not good because definitely you can make something useful with them it's a nice format uh, and you can, but I would use them uh, as a starting point for something else. And this is just my opinion when it comes to sound, because those kind of sounds, by themselves, like that, I like them. But you know, I know that there are other people that are happy with do those you, I sounds. mean,
0: because th- I mean, all of these things have uh, external inputs and enable you to process external sounds with I mean, do things. Are things that process more interesting than things that are actually sources for sounds? Yeah,
2: think? yeah, that, that's another yeah, good idea. Definitely. For example, you use them as, as a stamp, stomp boxes basically. You use the filter or whatever else you can do with mm.
1: them. Yeah, and, and that price point, if you've got access to that kind of filter, then that's a cool thing, I think.
0: Yeah, I think that's the idea, really. I mean, so, well, we shall see. Um, I at this point I think what I'm going to do now is I'm going to uh, bring uh, I'm going to have a message from our sponsor then I'm going to play the interview that was uh, with uh, the winner for the, uh, the the competition so we'll do that straight off the the, the the that's about six or seven minutes so if you need to make a cup of tea or uh, help your you know or, or do something private uh, then that would be a good time but first of all, so what I'm going to do now is I'm just going to play. Uh, message from our sponsor. I want to say thank you very much to Yamaha for their sponsorship of the show. Uh, really do appreciate that uh, they're, they're still with us. And uh, I, I want, they want to tell you about their W24 and C24 pocket track recorders. These are some of the smallest. 24-bit 96K stereo recorders available today. The W24 has something extra special. It allows you to re- uh, control it remotely, which means that, obviously, if you're recording a gig or you want to put it up uh, up out of the way, you can still pause and stop and start and do all those things you need to do without having to climb on a chair or whatever. So uh, it's also got uh, XY-configured stereo microphone. It's high-capacity storage, recording to 2 gigs built-in memory plus micro SD cards. Superior battery life for extended recording up to 38 hours of PCM. Uh, as I said, 24-bits, 96K. Uh, tuner and metronome built in. Comes with Cubase AI, music production software. And also there's a, the C24, which is even smaller, can you believe it, than the W24, weighing only 57 grams. Uh, peak limiter, onboard speaker, uh, basically the same thing. The, both of these things have the incredibly fast startup time, which means that you plug them in, you get going, and you know, it's like a matter of seconds. I think, what does it say? Four and a half seconds. So uh, what uh, Yamaha would like you to do is go and check out YamahaDownload.com, YamahaSynth.com. Check out um, a Pulse store near you uh, if you're in the UK where you can go and try one out, maybe take a memory card, take it away, listen to it at home on the speakers, see what the recordings sound like. And also, if you're in the US, find one of the major dealers, go in and check them out, do the much the same thing. So once again, we thank Yamaha for the continued sponsorship of the show. Right, uh, so now it comes to the time where we... uh, we go to the winner of our competition, uh, and uh, I've just got a little uh, video insert. I, I can say we want to take this over to our outside broadcast. So here we go. So I have with me the competition winner. Uh, if you were around last week, you will have heard that we uh, we announced the winner of the Sonic Talk theme tune competition. And I have uh, with me on the line Mr. Kent Spong, who was otherwise known as Misty Mooney, uh, Misty Mooey, who created the uh, choir sound that you heard there. Uh, Kent, you look like you're basking in the glory of the winner of winning. Um. How will you use your head torch? This is what I want to know, first of all. Um,
3: I will use it to see if I can find some musical talent.
0: Oh, I think you death protest too much, sir. I think uh, there's plenty in abundance there. Mm. Right, I can see you've got a very tasteful selection of uh, analog synthesizers here behind you, but I think we're going to focus on the theme tune for the time being. So tell me, what uh, what did you use? We speculated it was going to be East West Symphonic Choir. Am I indeed correct? Uh, You are indeed correct. It was Symphonic Choirs, yes. Um, So, by the marvels of modern technology, we can allow. uh, We've actually got two Skype connections and one of sending your desktop. So, um, uh, tell me a bit about what's going on here. It's on a PC, right? Standard PC, uh, 8 core. Uh, And, of course, we have uh, Cubase Studio 5 running. There don't seem to be an awful lot of tracks there, which is. It's quite an uncommon sight in this day and age when you can just have everything <laughs> yeah. that you want. What well, did you feel? Were you were going for the minimalist approach, or was it just uh, just came out that way?
3: Yeah, I'm uh, what one would call um, a very lazy songwriter. Um, if I can't get it done in half an hour, um, I'll probably fall asleep or something. So yeah, four tracks is normally enough. The top track is actually the um, the choir, right? Actually, steam. The next one down is the um, one shot of the kettle drums at the ends. The next one down is the drum roll, which is just a single key hold down. And the bottom track is the uh, crescendo of
0: cymbal at the end. So real simple stuff. So you play? Mm. Did, pl- did you play the kind of uh, the, the chordal chord part? Uh, choral part in uh, in one tape? Yes. Wow, that's impressive. You should be demoing for East West Choirs. amongst other things amongst other things yeah so um, tell me a little bit about because I know that um, with Word Builder uh, you have to sort of create it phonetically don't you how how did you was it just a simple matter of typing sonicstate.com and that was it or did it uh, require a little bit more work
3: it did actually require a bit more work I mean, on on the actual uh, Word Builder
0: actually says uh, S-O-N N-E capital K capital E stite, as in S-T-I-E-T, dot com with a K. So do you, can you think in Votox, uh, because that's the language they use now, or did you have to kind of experiment a bit?
3: Um, there's not an actual big difference between the way I spell and Botox, but, um, no, in Votox, but no, in all honesty, what you do, the, probably the best thing to do is a little tip if you're going to use this software, is you set it to the English um, setting and type in... Exactly right. what it is you wanted to sing, right? And then see what it's saying, because it, at the same time it will show you each syllable in the um, the Votox. Ah. And you can, as you play it, and you go, oh, it's not quite right. And perhaps if I make that a capital C instead of a, a K and that kind of thing, you very very slowly teach it the words you wanted to sing. So but it never really sing what 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 you wanted to say. It'll just Give the impression that it has sunk
0: <laughs> I mean, I can't help but see the irony slightly because you're obviously surrounded there by an enormous amount of analog goodness, and yet you reached for the computer and just sort of played it in with uh, a sort of single plug-in. There is there is there, what 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 led you to that? Did you just think it would be um, appropriate? I mean, because obviously the thing is, is you you know you won by a country mile, by a clear ten points, so it obviously touched a sort of. Uh, a resonance with everybody was that what you were going for or was it just instinct
3: i just had this idea of doing a, a grandiose super pompous <laughs> kind of intro for the show um unfortunately as gorgeous as analog sounds it can't sing um and nor can i so it was the obvious choice
0: it's quite funny that uh even that. it, it so we're talking the The large pompous thing appealed to all of our self-important panel who thought, yes, that clearly represents (laughs) myself. I'm sure that says more about us than it does about you.
3: (laughs) No, I I think actually, I think it reflects actually the sense of humor that comes through on the show and in the chat room. I mean, uh, the people that know me when I'm in the chat room as KSR80, I mean, I very rarely have anything serious to say.
0: So I, I can't really let you go without saying, that's a really nice collection of analog synthesizers you've got behind you. Are you nonchalantly leaning uh, your elbow as if a sort of what are we driving these days on? That looks rather like uh, a, a Yamaha CS80, right?
3: Yeah, it's um, well, it was a Yamaha CS80, and it's quite heavily modded, um, you know, with murals and various effects built in. Like, uh, there's, I think there's a face shifter and a Dimension C built into it.
0: Wow, wow. But, and uh, is that an Alka Synthex up there on the shelf behind you? Yes, that's
3: actually um, Orich Schnauze's
0: ah. that he used on
3: uh, "Goodbye" and all that sort of thing. Strangely and, isolated place and all those. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So he has he has one that has MIDI, which is far more useful to him than this one, which doesn't. Um, so he said, "Look, you want to use it?" And I went, mm, "Yes." <laughs> no, no. And no. so I nailed it to a shelf and.
0: I'm happy and what's that beneath it with the uh it looks a bit like an emulator. It's not an emulator, though is it? uh the next one down is actually the uh Yamaha motif yeah. Okay. and under that is the um polymoog I see the polymoog that was signed by Bob Ah, <laughs> yes well because because you are the Kent spong who uh is what well, mr. Fixit of such uh mm-hmm. lovely polysynthesizers you are mm-hmm. that's your that, that is your day job, I guess.
3: Yes. Yes.
0: Before we go, actually, I should. You should really have to play it out. I think it's only fair that we should get you to play out uh, the track. If you do, you think that's possible with the? Let's really test our technical setup to the absolute yeah. max now.
3: Well, it is a PC. It may crash.
0: Anyway, Kent, thank you very much for joining us, and uh, we're going to go back to the uh, back to Nick in the studio. So I, I would be here if I had my mic switched on. Anyway, thanks very much to Kent uh, for his entry and for uh, helping us with that rather technically uh, complicated uh, conference call. There, we had two Skype accounts going—one with the desktop and one with the webcam—and it all worked out pretty well. So I'm quite uh, quite pleased with that. Anyway, so thank you very much. Um, now. Let's see what we've got next. Uh, I've got... Uh, uh, let's l- Actually, let's go to microphones because I think this is something that, uh, that maybe um, Diego may have something to add to. Uh, so let me just grab that quickly if I go here. This is the news that uh, uh, Blue have just announced a new Bottle Rocket Stage 2. Uh, I think I can play this video. Let's see if it will actually... Um, if it will play. Let's see... The Stage 2 Bottle Rocket is a tube microphone
2: that's a transformerless circuit, so it delivers a fast, quick, speedy sound. It comes with its own proprietary power supply, the PowerStream, and a beautiful tube microphone cable specifically designed to Blue specifications. Like our Bottle
0: series of microphones, all the capsules are interchangeable, and you have nine different bottle caps to
2: create any type of recording environment that you would need.
0: Excellent work on the leaf blower there, to uh, Diego. I think you need to go out, and maybe give yeah. that guy a,
2: a, a Grammy or something. Uh, seriously, I'm, I'm wondering if you guys can. The guy is right next to the to the wall of my house. It's really uh, no yeah, problem. Yeah. It, it, and you know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking they're they're doing it with such a great technique. They're perfectly moving forward in lines, and I'm like. Jesus Christ! <laughs> are you sure? Are you sure you're not considering? You're you're itching to head out no, there and
1: record stop, him. But,
0: I am going but now. You,
1: I'll. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say the thing is, if you wanted to record leaf blowers, you wouldn't be able to get him to do that.
2: <laughs> but I, oh, well, because I, I tried is, recording is he, something the on the other side of the street. Let's see if that that lasts.
1: Oh, okay, brilliant.
2: They <laughs> okay, so so just talk sorry, all
1: over you. You'd go, I want to record these leaf blowers, and then going... How do you like this leaf blower? So do you want it like this or like this? Every time you thought you'd got a good recording, they'd talk over it's, it. it. It's
2: the, it's the you, you become shy when you enter the studio process. Yeah, you know? Secret microphones. <laughs> Red light leaf
0: blowing syndrome. Yes, it's a common, common <laughs> thing, isn't it?
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> anyway, so Diego, tell me, I, I'm, I'm curious to know. I mean, what? I know you generally, you use uh, specific microphones for your purposes because obviously you need sort of Things that they must have multi purposes. You need things that are durable. Obviously, they can't be too delicate, but they also need to be sensitive. So, what what are the criteria for you choosing a microphone for your uh, particular setup? Or do you do you kind of buy microphones in for specific purposes?
2: Well, I started using uh, a rode microphones. I don't know back in two thousand two or two thousand and three, and I got one just because it was affordable, and I and I had my Neumanns, but I didn't want to use them for, you know, the most extreme experiments. And then after using them for a while, I realized that they they sounded very well. I mean, they have a good uh, frequency response, which is, uh, uh, you know, you don't want to have any color when you're sampling. And so they have this uh, frequency response, which is kind of flat or, I mean, not super flat, but not, doesn't have any peak or anything. And so I just, I just started using them. And then later on, when they started releasing other models like the NT-6, uh, which I attached to my fingers from Music on I realized that the, the practicality of a microphone, it's also a major uh, aspect of uh, what I need. So yes, there is the sound, but there is also the, how can I use the microphones in a more dynamic way? Because... Uh, I I don't have a very good relationship with microphone stands because I tend to break them because I want to do things fast. And then there's these 500 knobs and things to (laughs) unscrew in order to move them. So I like to to have the microphones uh, that I can move them around. Because, for example, when, when you record, you just put the microphone in front of the source. okay, And then you just either play or do whatever you're doing or recording. But it's a very static relationship if you think about it between the microphone and the source. So. What I realized I like to do is moving the microphones closer. So in a way, it's not like compression because you're actually changing a lot of things when you get closer to the source. And what comes out of it, it's much more unique. It's more like a performance with a microphone in a way. So what, you dynamically move the mics? Yes, yeah. For example, I was doing a a session for the film takers and uh, we were at the studio with a, a grand piano and I was uh, hitting some notes uh, with uh, forks and spoons, actually. <laughs> but but then I was capturing the decay of the sound by getting closer with the microphone. And the effect was very interesting. It's, it, I wouldn't be able to do the same exact thing in post-production. So that's what I realized I like about uh, microphones as well. So how practical and how easy it is for me to move it, that's, that's a major aspect uh, right now.
0: Uh, I see. So um, you would actually, so you're kind of using the proximity effect to a degree. Is that kind of the way that Mm -hmm. you're, ah, all right. Okay. And I'm guessing each each microphone has its own uh, characteristics when it comes to that.
2: Of course. Yeah. Depending on the size of the diaphragm and, and, and things like that. But definitely if you try using microphones that way, first of all, you end up with something that is unique to each session. And you know, the more unique it is, the more your sound it is at the end. So that—that that what matters to me.
0: Ah, right. Okay, well, that's that's very interesting. I mean, are there microphones that you would like to use, but perhaps uh, are conscious of the fact that they may become damaged? You know, you think, I'd love to put that, you know, U sixty seven on the uh, on the burning piano, but I just can't risk
2: it. Well, that's exactly the point. I mean, I, I don't uh, because I record all the time. For example. What if I had to record leaf blowers suddenly <laughs> at eight forty-five in the morning? You need. You, so, I, I suggest you need a wind guard, right? But the thing is, I don't. I don't have the the habit of uh, putting my microphones back after I use them. So I leave all my gear uh, ready uh, all the time, and so I realized that using a two thousand, three thousand dollars microphone, it's not the optimal use for me. Uh, It might get damaged. uh, Moisture can damage the, you know. So I I rather work with microphones that are affordable. If I break them, I'll buy a new one, and um, and the sound is good. That that would I wouldn't choose a microphone just because of the price, right? Uh, So.
0: That's an interesting criteria, isn't it? About, uh, about Particularly because you're, wor- you're working with sound, but it's just as important that it be uh, affordable and replaceable. I'm guessing the Bottle Rocket, um, uh, which incidentally, if I just switched it here, the Bottle Rocket, uh, what I should really say, what it, what it costs, I think you can get it for, uh, I think it's about €2,249, 2, which is probably about $2,500. So it's a premium product. So right. perhaps not one for you, but you can replace the capsules, so you could possibly, but it does need a massive, great power supply, which is probably not going to be so good right. for your location recording, right? Right.
2: So right. No, I work? mean, I'm sure they sound amazing, but uh, you see, the, 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 there's, a, as always with every technology, a huge debate about, no, this is better, that's better, or this can never be topped or things like that. But it's also true that uh, things change all the time, technologies improve and so what's affordable now can be in a way compared to a microphone that was way more expensive in the past and without going into any specific models yeah, i'm just sure. saying that the, the technology of today allows things to be cheaper and we see this in, in synthesizers and why not in microphones that's true i mean and that is
0: that is something that's been happening very much so um, uh, uh, and of course I spoke to Matt Robertson, who was uh, who's the guy who works with Bjork, and he does a lot of recordings. and He was uh, he was saying that you know the amount of money he used to record a jazz quintet or quartet, he could have spent like three times as much, but he didn't feel necessarily it would get him three times the amount of uh, of sound or music or quality or whatever he just managed to make it work and i suppose that's very much how a lot of us tend to work i mean until we can it's great when you get these things because you hear them and just go wow isn't that lovely and you sort of don't have to work as hard perhaps
2: you know know what i i also realized Uh, Sorry, there's just one thing. I I see people that comment on uh, some of the stuff that I post online and they say, well, of course your stuff sounds great because look at the expensive gear you're using. (laughs) But in fact, it's not expensive gear. I mean, except for the API gear that I recently got, but that's a different story. But other things that I've done before, they were not made with expensive stuff. And so in a way it's, it's true what you say. You can make amazing stuff with affordable things. It's up to you how you use these things.
0: Exactly, exactly. Mark, I think you are going to come in there. What? Um, I mean, you, do, you because, do some location stuff as well, don't you? But...
1: I do, but I don't. Um, I've taken to using binaural microphones, and the reason I've taken to doing that is kind of in a similar thing to what Diego said. It's like moving the microphone around is almost as important as the microphone you're using. So the easiest way to monitor that, I've found so far, is to put the microphone in my ears and move my head around until I hear a sound that I like. And that actually works really well. Because then when I play it back, if I play it back and and it's sort of coming back at me like it would have in the real world, I kind of tend to record things at a level which I can then play them back at and balance it out. So I don't use the full bandwidth of the recorder by any means. I probably use a tiny part of it because occasionally something really loud might happen and I, and that would just go flying off into the red and I might actually want that sound. So I, fi- I find myself recording at almost the lowest level on the recorder. And the way I set my level is I will uh, shout as loud as I can and then if that gets close to over, that's okay. Then I might be recording something really quiet and not using any of that bandwidth at all, but then moving my head around to find out where it sounds good. So I literally like hone in on it and go, actually if I turn my head like this, that reflective plane there and this reflective plane here are kind of doing something to that sound that sounds good. And then sort of take it from there. But
0: But does that work more for um sound? I'm guessing, you know, an issue with that, because if you've got a loud sound, you don't really want to stick your head in the bass drum for instance, you know.
1: I would I'm not thinking <laughs> so well, you know, I'm not thinking so much about musicians and playing instruments. Yeah. I'm thinking more about like, you know, finding weird sounds that you can use to become sources for synthesis or for sample-based synthesis, uh, okay, really so you... more than anything else. So. Well... but I, you know, I, I was doing my that podcast that I was doing. I was doing that on the iPhone, and I've now taken to recording any of my spoken word things using binaural microphones because whenever I use any microphone to record my voice. I spend hours messing around with it thinking, God, that doesn't quite sound right. It doesn't quite sound like me. But if, if well, I. Like, it doesn't sound like my it does voice in your head. And then I it suppose, sounds so. like it does at, well, at the, you know, openings of my ears, then that sounds more realistic to me. And I like things to sound like the thing that I'm recording. So I suppose, unlike Diego, I'm not looking for anything other than the sound that I've identified out there in the world that I like. So if somebody. Like, you know, you heard my back door, uh, my door banging earlier on or creaking. I've got, I mean, I've gone around the house recording all the creaky noises that I liked the sound of and spent time um, making sure that I captured those in an accurate way. So if an accurate way means me sitting in this chair that far away from that door and I like the sound of that spatial uh, reference on that door, then I'll try and capture that spatial reference as well. It's kind of. You know, it's as much about capturing the space or the not space. It's sort of—I mean,
0: what you're talking about is almost like a kind of photographic, a photographic representation of audio. So it's a realism you're after, rather than a, than a, yeah, um, really. than
1: a representation, which is kind of interesting. Hmm. I mean, well, the, actually... the last, the last microphone I bought uh costs two pounds. Thirty, including the postage from China, um, because I th- and I'm going to buy several of them because I want to. I've been mucking around with binaural recordings and dummy heads and things, and I want to create a multi-channel dummy head recording, which I can then decode into some kind of stereo and see if I can get more of a degree of realism than just simply having those things in my ears. But I'm not going to do it with expensive microphones. I'll do it with like you know a dozen cheap chinese condenser mics they probably you know i'm um, they can pr- if i if i work it right and 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 then balance them out with white noise so find out what their frequency response is as well first then i can probably get close to something sounding you know that a lot sounds more very interesting two, two pounds something from china you know but, diego you uh, were, you
0: uh, you were just coming you were just going to come in there i mean i think you picked up yeah. that point about the phot- photographic representation
2: Right. And, and this is definitely uh, an interesting approach because uh, if you're trying to capture reality, that's probably a more realistic approach than the one I use. But in my case, I realized that reality in sound means nothing to me <laughs> because uh, the sound, when you are experiencing it in real life, for example, I, I have this example. I was uh, on the top of a hill in Tuscany when I was still living in Italy, and there was complete silence, and it was beautiful. And obviously, I recorded it. But then, when I listened to that again, it didn't make any sense because the sound—it's it, not happening just through my ears. It's happening also through my body. So that silence, I cannot replicate that silence in my studio. It's impossible. So I prefer to go a different, to take a different approach and create my own version of oh. sound of the reality of sounds right okay so instead of instead of a photography i think about microphones and use microphones as as um, um how do you say the microscopes you know you get closer and you start to see all these shapes that you wouldn't see that's, uh, more okay. interesting to that's me. an okay. interesting idea
0: do i mean do you think it is very that you get these kind of uh wind uh, you know sat location recordings like room tone mm-hmm. those kind of things i mean yeah. do you have you are you involved in that sort of world at all like location recording outside of you know your sound design stuff is it is it purely the you know the, the, the art of of, mess, of messing with sound that you that that you work yeah. with?
2: yeah i i it's only for musical purposes that i record those things i don't really do location recording as i said because I got disappointed by the, by the result because I don't feel it's happening just through my ears. Uh, when when you are in silence, there is no vibration hitting your body. So silence is much more a much more complex experience than just uh, sound. It you know air pressure and things like that. So. Uh when, I, when it comes to record those things, I use them in a musical way so I can definitely alter the dynamic uh, balances between the different elements. I don't try to make it sound real. I try to make it sound like uh, you were transported somewhere. Right, um, to give the sense of it.
0: Uh, that yeah. was another thing I was going to ask you. I mean, are you doing any of the stuff where you create the sounds and you make them into instruments that you can play or you do it all within
2: cut and paste on the timeline of your DAW? How does How does that work? Well, it, de- it depends which project because, for example, uh, music from a tree, there's no sampling and I didn't use any synth either. Uh, the, what I did, I recorded uh, these long takes where I basically improvise and I record one element on top of the other. And then later on, which is how I do music anyway, uh, I figure out what I wanted to say with that piece of music. And and, and this is one approach. The other approach can be a mixed a uh, version of that for example music from sand or music from a dry cleaner there are elements that i sampled and then i play from the keyboard and elements that i play in real time on top of that uh, in music from sand what you hear when when you see me starting playing on the keyboard that's one uh, note that i extracted from the sand and then i mapped it because obviously extracting chords and you know yeah. making actually that mm-hmm. would be quite uh, quite challenging and the same with music from a dry cleaner. The 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 whole uh, harmonic and melodic part, it's created out of the sound that I recorded from the conduits because there was a, a a B flat, a little flatter than a B flat. But anyway, there was this very specific note uh, humming uh, inside the conduits because there's an engine. I I, I kind of know all about it now <laughs> about dry cleaners. You're an so, expert. <laughs> well, I went there. I went there. I I, I asked them to explain me how the place works. Basically, I needed to know where the sun comes from, uh, in order to say, okay, now turn this on, turn that on. Uh, and then, you know,
0: Oh, that's was really definitely... interesting. Yeah.
2: Did, did they, did, great... How did how did
0: you, how did they, uh, treat you? Did they think, did, were they sort of on board straight away or were they skeptical to begin with? And then as you gradually built it, did they sort of become to realize that you, that you were going to do something special?
2: Well, actually, they they had no idea until the very end, because when I'm doing these things, I'm recording with my headphones. So I was just uh, I had a click in my headphone and I was uh, playing these different things. Uh, So it it looked pretty random to them. To me, it was sounding like something that it was kind of making sense. Uh, They were very surprised when they saw the final video. They saw, oh, that's that's so that's what you were doing with all these machines and things. And uh, and and even a bigger surprise is that when they when it was on NBC on the Today Show, that was a bigger surprise also to me. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> so, a
0: well, that's a great that's a great place for you. So I'm curious, actually, did you go in with an idea to begin with, just just like a motif or something that you were trying to find, or did you literally just walk in and see what happened?
2: You see, I tried to think about an idea, but uh, and this I'm not saying about this one before when you start working with these kind of sources you can't really write a score and then, okay, now I'm going to play it with a tree. It doesn't work. You get, you just have to go with what you can do. I mean, So if there's a few notes, well, use those notes in a way that makes sense. And the same was with music from a dry cleaner. I had the click because I had an idea for the kind of movement that I wanted to create. And also I was thinking how fast I could move those machines. Yeah. Uh, but pretty much everything else was done on the spot. And then, uh, I I cut the the cloth hangers, uh, uh, so I it, it wasn't really tuned, but in a way it made sense. And, and and the the only thing that I kept was the basic tonality of the place, which is a B a B flat uh, major. Ah, so uh, you 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 kind of, yes, right? The, the, mm-hmm. yeah, un, the underlying fundamental of it, right? I because I couldn't I couldn't erase that. I mean, I could have done you know like extreme denoising on stuff, but. I thought that it was making sense to have this kind of buzzing tone humming like this B major and just work on top of that. And oh, that's interesting. So when you enter a
0: place anywhere, you know, you might be doing anything. Are you are you always on thinking, oh, this room is
2: in C or do you know what I mean, those kind of, does well, that, is... I I don't have perfect, perfect pitch, so I cannot tell you exactly which note it is, but I can tell you if it's major, minor, if it's more defined, if there's a strong fundamental or not. Uh, I tried to learn the fundamental pitch, but then I thought, do I need it? I don't really need it. I mean, it's not yeah, like if I. There's probably an app for that, isn't there? A, a right, app. right, if, right, exactly. It's not that. <laughs> right, I, I have my my Peterson tuner on my iPad if I need to know which note it is. But anyway, uh, when I, yeah, when I enter a place, I mean, you can do the same. You 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 just pause for a second, and, and you will start hearing if there's something in there. Yeah, yeah. That was the case.
0: It's interesting because I, um, my uh, parents-in-law have uh, a downstairs, uh, what would I call it, a restroom, um, which has a fa- an extractor fan it, which has a very strong bass pitch, and I always find myself humming around it. <laughs> I can't <laughs> stop it, and I suppose that's a sort of similar, <laughs> similar kind of concept
2: Yeah, probably right, covers right, up all definitely.
0: sorts of uh, indiscretion, misdemeanors, and noises that are other noises that are going on
2: in there. But... <laughs> I'm not gonna, I'm not no. gonna do music from a bathroom. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I, I, perhaps I should stop this now. It's probably not going to go me anywhere. Uh, but before I do, I just actually, I, I, I did forget to mention them last week, but we have uh, Mac Pro Video, who um, are sponsors of the show. Uh, I quickly want to say uh, if you are looking for training on uh, all kinds of stuff audio, video, graphics, productivity, if I go to audio here, uh, they've got Ableton Live, Cubase. It's video based uh, training. And basically, if you go to the URL, which you can see just there, which is sonicstate.com forward slash mpv, we can uh, get you a 20% discount, which means that you'll save 20% on any single download. So give it a try. Why not? I and mean, there's a, a lot of people really rate their tutorials. So um, there's just tons of it. GarageBand, Cubase, Pro Tools, uh, Reason, Melodyne, Native Instruments stuff, Reason, was it Sound Soundbooth, spectrosonic stuff, lots and lots of things there. So do check it out. sonicstate.com forward slash mpv, and that'll just take you, it'll bump you out back to their site with the, the, all the right tokens and, and vouchers and stuff and save yourself 20%. Why not? You owe it to yourself. So anyway, um, guys, thank you very much for that. Uh, did you want to have a look at the planetary sounds? Because I thought that was quite interesting as well. Maybe you have a quick time for that. Uh, let me see if I can find... that. So, This is video four. Here we go. These are basically sounds from uh, taken from the Voyager... Space sounds, in and th- I think that what they uh, represent are kind of um, magnetic fields and magnetical particle vibrations, which generate some of the sounds you hear on this record. Some of the sounds, and some of them, you know, in mass alone, uh, what's it, Jupiter? The winds around Jupiter, three hundred times the mass of Earth. It's just an interesting thing. And Mark, you brought this up and very flippantly said, uh, "Let's talk about the rings of Uranus," uh, which of course was. Uh, <laughs> Very flippant. But I thought this might appear. I don't know if... You, I mean, this is from ages ago. It's like 1990, I believe. But this just... I mean, there's just tons of it. There's all sorts of different tracks. And there is indeed a sound of Uranus somewhere, which uh, I haven't actually got access to. I couldn't find the link again today. But... Um, so I just wanted to think. I mean, does this kind of fire your imagination, Diego? Because I, I know it's a bit of a flippant sort of topic, but uh, are there places that you would think, I'd love to go there and record this sound the sound of this?
2: Yeah, I, I, I actually I, I noticed these things before, and I was wondering how they translate the datas they capture into sound. And I mean, yeah. they they sound like stuff that I've done for Atmosphere <laughs> years well, ago. Yeah, but, really. <laughs> but but they're not they're not bad. They're interesting. But what I would be more interested about this thing, it's not really the sound is the process what, what how did they trans it's like when they did the sounds from the uh, large uh, collider in, in geneva they did these uh, blips and stuff and I said okay what's the what's the rule here i mean how do you transform uh, numbers into sound and i think a lot of it is uh, the personal taste of the yeah. person working you think on that the interp- project
0: interpretation it's
2: a bit like those things right right i think it's an interpretation of data so I would definitely love to, I don't know how you record those things, but if there's a way, I would love to to listen to these things by myself. But
0: um, what would maybe be interesting is to get you access to that data and have you interpret it in the way
2: that you would. Yeah, yeah. No, because, for example, one day I thought, I, I think I would like to record sounds from the clouds. OK, how do I do that? Okay, I'm going to either clip a microphone to a balloon or I'm going to send up a, a, a sensor that capture humidity and these things. But then if I do that, where's the acoustic part of it? where's the sound i mean i'm basically inventing the sound so i can't really say it's music from clouds i can say music inspired by the clouds and yeah so it opens up a lot of things and do you think that's I what's going to... on here then mm.
0: sorry mark if
1: i was gonna say i've been told about hot air ballooning a friend of mine knows that i'm into sound and stuff and has highly recommended that i go hot air ballooning because he said when you go up in a hot air balloon you're up in obviously up high in the sky and he said you flying over people's back gardens and you hear people talking at a normal volume level can be heard clearly as you fly over their gardens so they don't think that you can hear them and they're just chatting among themselves but there's no noise apparently when you're in a hot air balloon because you're moving at the same pace as the wind and there's absolutely nothing between you and the earth any kind of pin drop sound down on earth can be heard clearly from where you are and obviously when they put the fire thing on that you hear the sound of that but then he said It's just absolute eerie silence when you're up there, and that sounds fascinating to me. I I imagine
0: also there must be something, because you've got this huge canopy over your head, which must in some way reflect, it's like a parabolic thing with an opening at the bottom that you're underneath. They must reflect some sounds back in, or maybe what you're speaking goes up and bounces around inside the balloon, whether there's reverb perhaps inside the balloon. That's an interesting idea.
2: Also there's another thing that I was just it just came to my mind by reading the comments here in the in the chat room. Uh, one guy said uh, Jupiter literally does create sounds. Well, here's the thing. If it does, I don't think they will be in our range. So, if you upspeed the, that sound, I don't know, 20 times just to get it in our range, how can you say that that's still the original sound? It's it's an interpretation of that sound. The original sound would be probably so slow that we would just hear click, and then after a year, click. <laughs> oh, something like, like that. You, you know what I mean? We we cannot really perceive f- f- with our uh, auditory system those sounds for real. So we can only s- speed them up, pitch oh, them down. Do... So it's kind of like
0: granular synthesis in reverse almost, isn't it? We're sort of making waveforms well, out of... There is
2: a, that there is a, a human intervention to transform those uh, signals into sounds because uh, if there is a signal that is outside our auditory system, you can call it air pressure, but you don't perceive it as a sound. You Interesting. Know what I mean? um, sonic, uh,
0: sonic. Uh, uh, 664 uh, 4118 says yes, they will. It has winds at hundreds of kilometers per hour continuously, so we could perceive that because you could hear the sound of wind moving past. Uh, that sounds like a philosophical argument that could go on for an enormous amount of time, but yeah, <laughs> that, that may be because obviously we can hear wind as long as it's rattling through something, I suppose. But that's interesting,
2: right? Right, but but well, if the there's no air in space, uh, I'm sorry, how do you transmit <laughs> that sound? Mm, an interesting <laughs> well, we'll dilemma.
1: If the planet has an atmosphere, then there would be uh, sound in its atmosphere. But if they, but if they did this in the seventies, how did they do it? Because it wasn't. It was the nineties, nineteen ninety. Was it? Was it? Oh, okay. I thought you said or the. Rele- 70s. It was released in nineteen ninety. Right, because because I mean, if you had transducers on the outside of the spacecraft, I mean, why bother doing that anyway if there's no sound in space? Apparently. Um, well, they,
0: they, they didn't. What they did, they, they, I mean, when they put anything up in space they, and they figure out, I mean, most of the, the payload of these things is the technical measurement stuff, you know, the things that measure um, light in different frequencies, sound in different frequencies, magnetic forces in different frequencies, mass, all of these things. I mean, radiation, all of these things. That, that's what the, 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 the satellites and the voyagers and all these things are for, essentially. They're just massively... Uh, sort of large ears in space that just listen on no- an ears and eyes that just listen and monitor everything they can possibly think of
2: because so, I imagine
0: a lot of the time what they did when the first one went up they probably made a sensor that didn't measure something and then they saw something maybe at the very bottom or top of that uh, sensor and thought what is that and then they figured out oh that must be some sort of radiation or that must be some sort of magnetic force or whatever and then they right, built right. something to measure that I mean it's, it's a kind of process I mean, unfortunately it costs you billions of dollars each time you forget to include the uh, omnidirectional microphone or w- whatever it is that you you would need, but it's an interesting interesting process. And I
1: I quite like those tracks because they send me a bit kind of. Uh into a sort of a relaxed kind of like yeah they do sound like relaxation tapes tapes, tapes, don't they yeah
0: do you think that's what maybe what somebody who made but that sounds like it's a human like Diego said it's a human decision was was exactly so you know
1: and and, but then you know and maybe relaxation tapes send me into a relaxed state because i've heard so many of them that are the same that i've now been you know, I have a presupposition that when I hear one, that I'll become relaxed. So it's conditioning, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, um, I mean, if you were hearing, you know,
0: maybe... the, if you were hearing the winds going past at you know ten thousand kilometers an hour and the storms, it wouldn't be a very relaxing sound. I'd imagine it would be. would
2: just be like It would, probably, it would look... <laughs> grind. It would probably, grind um... down the capsule of the microphone to nothing. <laughs> <laughs> what about leaf Which blowers? Which might be though? an interesting sound. That one. <laughs> could you could you be conditioned
1: to think that leaf blowers were relaxing?
2: Well, hey, possibly. I'm telling you this. I'm telling you this. I I, I hate them so much that at some point I'm gonna do something completely relaxing out of that sound, just to counterbalance the effect. Yeah, yeah. Cool.
3: Before, maybe,
2: you know, maybe if you record, that. what you need
0: to do is record the leaf blower so that you can play anti-leaf blower sound in your house exactly. when they I'm are playing.
2: Play. Out of phase. <laughs> I'm playing out of phase. Yeah, out that out would work.
0: Anyway, guys, it's uh, it's uh, been a lot of fun, and uh, much. Well, I thank you very much for joining us. I also want to say th- um, happy birthday to Rich Hilton who is currently in the air uh, uh, yes. or in Switzerland I think playing with Sheikh on the continent he's going to be here all being well here at Sonic Towers with uh, anybody else who can make it we're going to have a live kind of love fest round, you know panel situation so uh, I'm hoping to see Rich and a few others next week uh, in in person so um, I want to say thank you very much I want to say thank you first to my panelists here you could see in glorious skype stereoscopic vision there we have first of all Mr Mark Tinley from Uh, likebeing.com waving there in the full glory of his new
1: webcam thank you very much oh it's glorious isn't it well new to you
0: (laughs) webcam anyway it it is actually quite well Fabulous. It's got a calm <laughs> sized lens and everything. Fantastic. Very and,
1: pleased.
0: <laughs> and also thank to Diego Stocco uh, from diegostocco.com, uh, sound designer extraordinaire. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. I hope you have a lovely day. Now you've actually got thank the entire you. day ahead of you to enjoy still.
2: So. Yes, I'm going to step out the door and record leaf blowers for the rest of the day now. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I, I, I'm glad we were able to Excellent. help inspire you. <laughs> So, folks, um, thank you very much.
0: And everybody, thank you very much, everybody in the chat room. Uh, really much appreciated. Um, as ever, your turbo brains have been very useful and uh, some great comments in there. Thanks, thanks all again. So uh, we will see you uh, next time. And hopefully next time I might have another um, piece of um, sort of how I made it uh, from one of the other top three uh, Sonic theme Contestants. So, I think what I might do is play out with uh, our theme tune again just so you can hear it. So, uh, I will see you all later.